This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. And joining us now, Sam Kennedy. He is the president and CEO of your, and by that I mean Lynch's, Boston Red Sox. Sam, really good to have you with us. I got to tell you, we're so excited. Fans in the stands, fans at Fenway. Tell us what's going on in Boston. Well, there's a uh, definite feeling of excitement. It has been an incredibly difficult year for our country and all of our individual cities. And uh, we hope it will be a day of sort of, as we've talked about, getting back to somewhat of a normal environment, albeit with a smaller crowd. Uh, But baseball, I think, always uh, is a symbol of renewal and hope and recovery. In our case, here in Boston from a long winter, I was, believe it or not, uh, got a lot of time on my hands. I was actually reading a piece from the great Mike Barnacle from the Boston Globe in 1983 talking about the renewal and hope and how baseball becomes uh, the sort of sign of of renewal. And, And the winter's over, and we're ready to play baseball. Well, I'm glad you guys are having fewer fans in the stands, but fewer fans are going to be allowed at the ballpark. Are there any revenue concerns about that? Yeah, there there are. You know, unfortunately, our business is uh, driven 100 percent by uh, our our fan base, and we have, uh, with all due respect to other markets, the most rabid and loyal and passionate fan base uh, around the country. And last year, you know, playing with no fans in our ballparks and having no ticket revenue, no food and beverage revenue, no ancillary events, um, uh, that that has a trickle-down effect to sponsorship and um, licensing and retail and everything we do to generate revenue. So it's been very difficult from a business perspective, but uh, we've obviously we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's great that Major League Baseball uh, and the players came together last year to stage even a shortened season, and really optimistic that we'll be able to get a full year in and hope to get back to quote unquote normal by 2022, if at all possible. So uh, the governor only is allowing 12 percent of capacity, which is roughly 4,500. Uh, people in Fenway Park, you hold a, l- a little bit shy of 38,000. How do you proportion the seats? Um, do you just spread them all over the ballpark? There are different price points, obviously, with field box seats, bleacher seats, um, grandstand seats. How, how did you come up with a configuration? Yeah, well, it was uh, it was a little tricky, but we had uh, some 
best practices from around the country, watching other venues that have gone through this. And then, of course, this past four weeks down at JetBlue Park down in southwest Florida, we had a bit of a dry run. We are spreading fans out all across the ballpark to take advantage of this space. And um, we're selling tickets in in pods of two and four and six, obviously requiring masking and uh, creating a natural separation. Uh, And what we did was we gave uh, some priority to our season ticket holders who uh, obviously are our most loyal customers. Uh, we affirmatively held back some tickets for the general public, roughly 75% for season ticket holders, 25% for the general public. And it essentially for April uh, is a bit of a, a lottery system uh, in terms of getting in and logging on and getting the ability to buy tickets. Uh, so our hope is that we can engage uh, as we we have for the past year with the governor um, and obviously you know North Shore guy very reasonable and uh, he'll lead us back to a place hopefully where we've got full recovery uh, and, and full capacity back at Fenway Park at some point we hope once the vaccines are widely available and distributed boy I can't wait can't wait for that day and uh, we're all starting to see family members some of our elderly family members getting vaccinated and it's uh, it's a sign of, of hopefully a return to normalcy here we hope by later this summer if at all possible sam i mean you guys have had a role in in vaccinating folks as well and will that continue we, we have. We've, uh, for the last several months, we've been one of the mass vaccination uh, sites along with Gillette Stadium. Uh, the Boston location, which is ours, is actually moving um, in the next couple of days over to the Heinz Convention Center. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to get more space, more supply, and, and better access over there. So we were a bit of a, a, a temporary location. We would have loved to have kept going for, you know, all summer uh, in the next fall. Um, we have the ability to do it, but it's just a function of uh, supply and, and, and from the federal government. So uh, we had an incredible experience. It was very uh, humbling to be a small part of the, the recovery. We had our uh, day of game staff, which, of course, were mostly off all last season, had an opportunity to come in and work the vaccination site, and I'm really grateful for that. It was pretty emotional. I was here most days watching uh, a lot of uh, 75, 85, 95, even 100-year-old-plus uh, attendees come in and, and get vaccinated, and, and watching the emotion was, was pretty powerful. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that from, from a lot of your, your fellow uh, executives and, and owners ac- across the league. I mean, going back, even with voting to vaccinations, I mean, that, that it's, it's a reminder of how central the sports teams are to both the, sort of the economics and, and the cultural fabric in, in many ways of our cities. I feel like we've been reminded of that over the last year. Yeah, it's a great point. We we obviously are in the baseball business, but more importantly, we're a part of this broader community, and nobody knows that better than Lynchy. Having grown up here, you know, Fenway is situated right in the heart of the city, right in the middle of a, a residential neighborhood and a, uh, a neighborhood that is uh, filled with uh, hospitals and uh, and and data scientists and and uh, actually the Beth Israel Deaconess right down 
down the street. Um, you had vaccines developed right there. So it's a it's a great part of the city, uh, and we need to play a, a, a part of, of being a good corporate citizen. So whether it's opening up for uh, voting centers or vaccination centers or naturalization ceremonies, which we've done in the past, um, Fenway has been uh, an incredible sort of civic gathering place for years, and we, we hope that continues. And it's such a small town, uh, as Lindsay can tell you, it, it, it's it's really a, a it is a town, not a not a not a big city, and so we're able to mobilize the the, the elected officials and also the sports community to get behind different efforts. Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins, Revolution, and the Red Sox have come together often. Lynchy, my only problem with uh, Fenway, as you probably know, is the sit-go sign. When you're running the marathon, it feels like it keeps moving. It keeps moving further and further away, and I don't understand how you, how you do that, but uh, I don't know. You Boston guys. <laughs> it's magic. Oh, well, see, now I'm the team is I'm impressed you've run magic. that marathon. That's, that's no small feat. It's uh, it's it's a very Lynchy and, and and Barr and I have talked about it a lot. It it it's incredibly. There's nothing like it, as you know. I mean, it's just it's an incredibly in in a in a city that is so well known for so many sporting uh, elements, and you know, it it's it stands above. It stands above. That's for sure, Michael Barr. Oh my god! And, and, and before I ask the next question, I got to tell you, I, thank goodness for YouTube because I got hooked on watching Candlepin Bowling. And I love that. I found some old Don Gillis episodes. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) It's incredible what's made a comeback in the pandemic, right? Yeah. 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 Candle pins for cash. Oh, man, that was – get four in a row, man. It's like – and he's still alive. I love that phrase. That's great. What do you think of the the rules for the 2021 season? Uh, The the one that always sticks in my mind, and I I think it is a positive, if you have a a double header, that it's only just seven innings for each game. Yeah, we're really excited about trying to push uh, the game forward, uh, especially as we try and attract that next generation of fans. You know, you're never going to have a time limit on a baseball game, given the intricacies of the sport and the beauty and majesty of it. But we do need to uh, make sure we're doing everything we possibly can to move the game along. I think we've slipped in that area. Uh, I, I think the 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 clubs and the players and the broadcasters, the media, the front office, our fans, I think we're all aligned in that. So we're looking for ways to eliminate some of the dead time uh, between pitches, between innings. Uh, In 2021, it's just important that we're keeping up with with, uh, the mindset and the attention span of our our younger fans. We're always going to have people like me and Lynchy who could sit at Fenway Park for eight, nine hours a day if we had to, but we also yeah. would love to get games back in a reasonable time period. You know, I think I think back to when I was growing up, games were two hours and 40 minutes, probably on average, something like that. Now we're well over three hours, you know, three hours and eight minutes or so. And so Major League Baseball and the Players Association are talking about ways to speed up that pace of play. Um, it's For me, it starts and ends with the pitcher, you know, getting the ball, throwing the ball. Um, it really just creates a better a better brand of the game. Easy for me to say. I don't stand out on the mound trying to get out major league hitters. But if, if we could achieve some, some changes that pick up the pace, I think that would be a great thing for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if Tom Brady throws four incomplete passes, 
oh, Bill Belichick doesn't call timeout and come out to the huddle six times and visit him. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, right. it's the same thing in basketball. If Jay, and if, if he did, know, that Tate, wouldn't go well, I think. <laughs> no, 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 it wouldn't. That's what drives me crazy. Sam's still a little bit mad at me. We have this uh, award I give every week called the High Five, and when he was at Brookline High School, he was a two-sport star. He played baseball and he played hockey, and he still miffed at me that I did not honor him with a high five. So I hope this won't affect how we handle this interview here. What's, go, what's great, Lynchy, about growing up in the 70s and 80s and, and uh, early 90s, my senior year, 1991, there was no video. So it's impossible <laughs> for you to go back and check because uh, obviously the, the reports of, uh, of stardom uh, greatly exaggerated. <laughs> hey, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, this is a problem all around, not only baseball, but all uh, major league uh, sports franchises. Uh, corporate sponsorships, uh, corporate partnerships uh, from 2020 to 2021. Uh, what, what's been the retention rate for uh, p- p- people you had long-term relationship that went through a tough year themselves? It's a great question. We're, we're, we're fortunate. I, I would say high you know, 85, 90%. But what we've done is, which is we've had to be very flexible in terms of uh, payment schedules and restructuring contracts for partners to make sure that they get the benefit of the bargain. Because when you only play 37.5% of your season or whatever it was last year, um, you, you know, you have to make sure that you're being a good partner and, and providing the value to the advertisers that support you. Uh, we're, we very much, we've been here for 20 years and we very much uh, anticipate that the the John Henry Tom Warner ownership of this of this club and the ballpark will go for at least another twenty years. So we, we tried to take a very long term view in dealing with all of our customers, our, our corporate partners, and our our ticket buyers and suite holders. So making whatever accommodations people needed in twenty twenty and, and frankly in twenty twenty one as we deal with this pandemic, we're happy to do that. Interestingly, many businesses, as you. Can guys know technology companies um, especially have really done well in the pandemic ironically so some some companies have been uh, incredibly supportive and even uh, volunteered to stay on a normal payment schedule so it's been interesting to see the businesses that have struggled obviously the sports business is right up there with travel and hotel I mean we're in the mass gathering business by definition so our revenues have absolutely been decimated uh, so we've also had partners helping us out through the pandemic, which has been really, um, really gratifying. You know, Sam, you mentioned the ownership group, and and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that because everybody's attention was caught by uh, the recent inclusion uh, of LeBron James and, and Maverick Carter into the into the family at, as partners, and you have a, a special interest in this because I, I believe you were involved in bringing them in initially into the Fenway Sports Management uh, arm of the empire, as it were, um, which was a novel deal at that time. And tell us the the significance of that. Um, obviously, it's it's significant on a sports level, on a cultural level, and in many ways. Uh, tell us about LeBron and Mavericks' arrival and, and what that means. Great. Well, first of all, we're we're still uh, 
working through uh, details and, and final elements, but we hope to be in a position in short order uh, to announce uh, something formally. And there, there have been many widespread media reports, so I think it's okay for me to right. at least address it publicly, um, and, and especially because we've had a decade-long relationship with Maverick uh, and LeBron uh, and Paul Walker, their business partner. Yep. Um, we, we started out with Fenway Sports Management, uh, which we launched back, believe it or not, in 2004, which is a sister company of the Boston Red Sox to handle sales and marketing activities for third-party clients. And we were uh, very fortunate in 2010 to be connected to LeBron and Mav and, and Paul through our chairman, Tom Werner, who's had a longstanding relationship with them. And our group at Fenway has represented LeBron uh, and, and his off-court uh, in, endeavors. And that's led to, uh, frankly, a, just a great business partnership and friendship. And as we're potentially considering a significant investment into the team, um, the idea is that they would be a part of that. And so my fingers and toes are crossed that we get this thing over the line because it would be incredibly significant. Of course, LeBron, one of the the world's uh, most famous uh, athletes, and Maverick, one of the world's most famous business magnates uh, coming together to be an investor with the Fenway Sports Group uh, would be really great for, for our businesses, which include the Red Sox and Nesson and real estate and Liverpool Football Club and a NASCAR team, and, and we have ambitions to continue to grow. Uh, so that's important. And then obviously to have two African-American investors uh, in our family at our ownership uh, table would be incredibly uh, significant, important, and, and welcomed by our group. Uh, the Red Sox, of course, have a checkered pass with respect to race relations, the last team to integrate in Major League Baseball. Obviously, Boston dealing with race issues for for, for as long as I've been alive and, and continue to try and do better here. So uh, it would be very significant, and we're hopeful that uh, we'll be in a position to announce something very, very soon. For old geezers like me who watch baseball warming up the Dumont, uh, trying to watch television, <laughs> it's, it's, it is the old guys like me, we're used to, to just watching the TV and, and watching the games, but obviously that has all changed. Now, you guys have Turner and Fox. You have deals with them. But is this going to be more of a regional consumer and for that matter, will traditional broadcast media still stay alive in the future? That's a great question. You know, we've seen the uh, the pay TV ecosystem change dramatically over the last five years or so. Um, and, and I think the, the sort of anticipated uh, decline uh, and unbundling of the cable bundle in terms of consumers buying internet and TV, uh, phone, landline, phone uh, service together um, has has happened, but maybe not as quickly as people saw it. And I also think that the analysts predict that there will be a sort of leveling off uh, area, whether, I don't know if that's 70, 60, 50 million households across 
the country that still subscribe to pay TV. Of course, there will be a migration and a shift. I've got a 17 and a 16-year-old, and they consume their media in very, very different ways, more short-form content on their phones, sort of where they, where they want it, when they want it. But I do think there's a balance because you start to look at all these streaming services and these new platforms, and you pay for them on an a la carte basis. And I've been reading a lot, and our analysts have been doing a lot of research. All of a sudden, you look at everything you're paying for, and then you start to add it up, and it could equal more than your, your bundled pay TV package. So I think it will, be, it will start to level out, and I, I think there will be, like anything, uh, somewhere in the middle is where it will shake out. There will still be a healthy, robust pay TV ecosystem uh, for regional sports networks. Uh, there will be the direct-to-consumer market uh, where uh, people just buy uh, uh, what they want, a streaming, uh, you know, a game stream directly to their phone. And it's a really challenging time for those of us in the sports business uh, at the local teams, uh, at the league level, to sort of figure out how this is all going to work. But I do think, and I'm biased, of course. I, I do think that the sports business is well positioned in the media landscape and ecosystem generally because live sports obviously need to be consumed live. It's not as interesting to watch a game that happened sometime in the past, whereas a lot of these other streaming services, Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus offer content that you can sort of watch at any time. Uh, but sports needs to be consumed live, and that's a, a big competitive advantage uh, for IP intellectual property holders of sports content. And so that's why I think you continue to see sports team valuations continue to increase and, and, and fans uh, continuing to support their teams. It just may be that they consume the games uh, in a video and audio format in, in a little bit of a different platform than than we grew up with so we'll have to be nimble and be ready to adjust and it's a really important um uh, moment for our industry so sam following up on that the yankees obviously are going to stream 21 games on amazon will you be watching that with a great deal of curiosity Absolutely, Lindsay. Yeah, we, we, we watch the Yankees closely at everything they do, no matter what. <laughs> I'd love to say we don't we don't care, we don't follow them, but uh, we do. We, we've got not only do we have a, a, a great deal of respect for for Brian Cashman and 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 Aaron Boone and the crew and what they've done has been remarkable. It's been a great rivalry, and 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 hopefully we'll both be battling it out in the AL East this year. But off the field, when you think about what happened, Hal Steinbrenner and Randy Levine and the group has done uh, with by you know selling the S network and buying it back and taking on all sorts of strategic partners and you have a company like Amazon in the mix. It's it's, it's really exciting to see what they're going to do. So yeah, we'll be watching it carefully um, and we'll watch the results and, and see how it goes because we are in that business. We own uh, in partnership with Jeremy Jacobs and the Bruins. We own the New England Sports Network, and so uh, we will be watching very carefully. And and we won't be afraid to steal really good ideas. <laughs> well, speaking in, speaking along those lines, Sam, you know, you mentioned the the broad portfolio that that Fenway has, and I'm especially interested in in what you may have picked up 
uh, in your work with Liverpool because, you know, obviously a different sport, but a global one, a very successful franchise and, and team uh, that's part of the family. You know, what do you pick and choose from as you look across the portfolio that, that you then put into practice for the Sox? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. We we uh, we got involved with English soccer first. You know, it's, it's like anything. It starts small and then it can grow. Um, John Henry and Tom Werner launched this Fenway sports management business, and our first foray into English soccer was we, we pitched Fulham, which is a, a yeah. an English Premier League club that's sort of back and forth between the Premier League and, and the championship division. Const- on, constantly on the verge of relegation or promotion, it, right? I mean, it's just it, brutal. Exactly. <laughs> a stressful place to be, for sure. Uh, but our little group here worked with them and their commercial director on trying to find a, a sponsor for the front of their shirt, uh, especially covering the North American region. Um, that got us into it. And then uh, when Liverpool was going through some financial difficulties, our group stepped in. And so we've learned a ton. I mean, I'm one of these, um, uh, you know, Americans who absolutely did not understand global football, the passion, uh, how big it actually is, why it's so exciting. And now I've become a huge Liverpool fan. It's obviously good to say that because I work for John Henry and Tom Warner, but I really really am into it. And uh, Billy Hogan, who's the CEO of Liverpool, was a a Fenway sports management alum, and we've got a great connection. Um, A lot of the same principles apply on the business side with respect to negotiating broadcast agreements and ticketing and events and marketing and retail. Um, on On the football side, football operations, soccer operations, and, and baseball operations, th- those guys are constantly talking back and forth about, you know, how, how the differences and best practices with respect to deploying analytics. It's really interesting. Alex Cora has become a huge Liverpool fan. He's a massive Jurgen Klopp fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that the Liverpool folks, I don't think we've converted them totally to being baseball fans. They're still trying to figure <laughs> the sport out uh, as foreign as we, we may think soccer is. Uh, baseball is, is even more foreign, especially uh, given the, the makeup of our roster over in Liverpool, we're represented by just about every continent in the world. It's really cool how global the game is and the following and the passion. And so it's been uh, it's been great to, to learn a little bit and, and share ideas. And, and, and in the end, look, it's, it's a zero-sum game for all of us. you you, you got to win. I'm sure the people overseas are thinking, what's this weird cricket game that I'm watching right yeah, now? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Well, cricket, cricket goes on for days, as you know. So our, our games, if they go four hours, we complain, but we, we don't go on for days. <laughs> I am a huge supporter of minor league baseball. And obviously, as we all know, last year was just a disaster. What happened? Where do you see the future of minor league baseball uh, heading and can it rebound? Yeah, I, I really think it it can, and I think it's actually very very well positioned now for the future. We went through exactly what you said; it, it was a disaster, losing a season, and at a time when we were downsizing to 120 clubs, um, which which was difficult. I know in in some communities, uh, even communities here in New England, but. We kind of have things right size now, and and I think that the 120 teams, with in great markets and great facilities, are positioned well to 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 rebound. And and there's nothing better in terms of fun, affordable family entertainment than minor league baseball. 
especially when you have affiliates the way we do. We're blessed to be in Portland, Maine, and um, and Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, being local here. We've got the stars of the future playing in New England. Uh, obviously, we're down in Salem, Virginia, um, in Greenville, South Carolina as well. But we, we really think that it, it will be a much better year. We're hoping to kick off the AAA season in early May, um, along with the rest of the minor league baseball season following shortly behind. We missed a whole year of development, which is really bad. Uh, so we're hoping to, to get going with, uh, with you know, ma- managing COVID and, and getting back on track here in 21. So, Sam, I'm, I'm the big logistics guy of the group. So uh, Mike Lynch is coming to opening day. Uh, he bought two tickets. I know that just floored half our viewership right there. <laughs> Mike actually bought two tickets. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what the heck did you do that for, Lynch? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm coming to the ballpark. What do I need with me? Do I need proof of vaccination? Do I need a mask? Do I need uh, – what do I need? Great question. Well, first of all, we ask for everyone's patient be, patience because uh, especially – People like my 80-year-old father, uh, who might not be as quick with their mobile device. But number one, all the all the tickets are being delivered electronically through uh, the Red Sox app on your on your phone. Um, and, and I won't go into all the details, but if anyone needs any help with that, they can get go to RedSox.com, and it's very clear how you download. We what we all went through the customer experience to see what it's like. Uh, went through the TD Garden procedures the other night to see how that went. They, they, they went great. So electronic ticketing is number one. A mask is number two. When you come in, we're going to require masks. And then we just ask that people uh, stay in their, their, their seating pod. Obviously, the restrooms and the concession stands are going to be marked with uh, markers for social distancing and the like. Um, and then, you know, other than that, let's, uh, let, let, let's hope for a couple three-run homers from the Red Sox and uh, – <laughs> seven, eight, nine innings from Nadia Valdi, and, and we'll go from there. <laughs> Sam, so let me follow this up. Everyone has a plan to getting into these stadiums. What is the exit strategy? Because, you know, if, you know, if you're up 9 nothing in the seventh, everyone might be running to catch the subway. Will everybody be able to leave the ballpark at the same time? Great question. So, yeah, well, first of all, if, you, if you're leaving you know, early, just <laughs> don't even bother coming. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. 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 Just... As a little guy, you never leave Fenway Park early. In this ballpark, anything can happen. No. But, yeah, our our no. fan service reps are, are going to be working with the patrons in each section for an orderly sort of church-style uh, exit. Believe it or not, you know, with, with, with 12% capacity, know, uh, yeah. it's really low. And, and the, the ingress and egress, I don't want to under-downplay it. It's important that we follow procedures and protocols but uh with that small of a crowd i think our fans will find it very easy to get in and out um it's a, it, it will you know hopefully be expanding as we get into the warmer weather and and let's call it post-vaccination days but for now we think it should be orderly and, and yeah if you just pay attention to our public service announcements and the uh and the fan service reps who i can't tell you how excited they are to, to be back here we've had intake testing for uh, covid testing for all of our employees uh, over the last 
24, 48 hours, and um, people who are eligible to get vaccinated are getting vaccinated. So it will be safe. We're outdoors. Uh, you'll be wearing a mask. And uh, we, we have not seen across the country, and I, I knock on wood, I cross my fingers and toes, we have not seen any outbreaks related to sporting events, which is really important. And so I think that gave uh, the governor, lieutenant governor, our mayor, um, uh, the confidence to, to push forward here with this plan for the garden and for Fenway Park and Gillette Stadium soon enough. And so, Sam, before we let you go, got to ask you about, you know, 2021, for so many reasons, going to be a, a critical year for the world, really. Uh, but for baseball specifically, getting back to business, but also the business of that pesky CBA that uh, you're going to have to renegotiate. What are the critical elements going into that, uh, especially given some of the drama that we saw last summer trying to get everybody um, on the same page? How are you feeling about it? What's on your mind? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a really important year. Obviously, um, Commissioner Manfred and, and Executive Director Tony Clark, who's former Red Sox, by the way, and, and a great guy. And, and, and I just I just hope that there's uh, there's productive conversations uh, early and often, as we say in sports, and let's get the two sides talking and, and get to a place where um, we find common ground and alignment of interests. We've got uh, a, the, the greatest sport in the world, uh, an industry that pre-COVID was incredibly healthy and natural that is in major recovery mode, the good news is there's still, um, uh, you know, revenues are going to start to come back. Uh, players uh, are still signing big contracts, big deals. So owners have been willing to invest. And so um, I just hope both sides, you know, begin dialogue early and we find alignment of interest and keep this labor piece going, which we've enjoyed now for many decades and it's really served the, the game well so i'm an optimistic person as lindsey knows by nature and and i'm really <laughs> optimistic that both sides will will uh, will come to an agreement and but i'm glad that's obviously uh, several layers above my pay grade so uh, i can i can root from the sidelines as a fan and uh, we'll just keep doing our thing here in boston well, Sam, you're very generous with your time, and uh, I hope you get to see the miracle of Lynchy buying a ticket to your uh, ballpark uh, before too long. And, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll all show up on your doorstep one time uh, with tickets on our phones do, and taking know, a game. Lynchy buying, buying the ticket isn't the miracle. If he can figure out how to use his ballpark app, that would be the yes. real. Well played. Well played. You said it so we didn't have to, Sam. We appreciate that. Well, uh, great, great to be with you guys come see us at Fenway we will we will thank Thank you you. so much thanks so much thanks Sam well, guys, a little bit of a homecoming there for for Lynchy, you know, sort of meet <laughs> meet and greet with the uh, with the boss of, you know, really one of the most impressive franchises by any measure uh, across all of sports. I mean, this has been a story that obviously you have followed more intimately than than almost anyone, Lynchy. But you know, this is a guy who has been there for the the crowning decades yeah. now of of this Boston Red Sox team. It's a great success story. He grew up literally one mile from Fenway Park in Brookline and worked his way up. He went out and worked with the Padres for a little while, came back here. He helped build their spring training facility, uh, JetBlue Park, down in Fort Myers. And he has risen up to the presidency and CEO of the Red Sox. It's a great success story. He's a congenial guy. He's a smart guy. He listens. Uh, His employees all love him. And um, 
he's very much respect, respected around Major League Baseball. Bar, what what did you think? I, I liked your question about the minor league parks. It feels like there's a little bit more optimism coming in to, to the minor league side. Um, optimism that was not there a year ago, that's for sure, certainly last summer. Yeah, I, I always worry about the minor league game. And I've, always, I've said it many times, and I'll say it again. Yes, Major League Baseball is going to be king. But if you want to take your family to see something affordable, if you want to go out and have some fun, if you want some $3 beers or, or whatever, go to a minor league baseball game. The food is, is reasonable, reason, and the price is right, and kids can have a lot of fun. I mean, they have all those promotions where you know people are throwing marshmallows and moving cars and, and, and everything like that. I, I want to see that continue, and I'm, and I'm hoping that it will – the future will be brighter for minor league baseball and and people will go to those games. So, Lynchy, how are you feeling about the Red Sox these days? I don't think it's going to be a great season yeah. for them. Uh, they probably, they'll finish ahead of the Orioles in the American League East. Um, they had the best outfield in baseball like 18 months ago with Mookie Betts, Jackie yeah. Bradley Jr., and the Killer Bees, all three Bees. Uh, Betts traded to the Dodgers, Benintendi traded to Kansas City, uh, and uh, Bradley signs with the Milwaukee Brewers. So Xander Bogarts is really your go-to guy, uh, and J.D. Martinez will be the designated hitter. But, you know, they, they had a great pitching staff before. They had Rick Porcello, who won a Cy Young Award. They had David Price, who won a Cy Young Award. All these guys are gone now. Eduardo Rodriguez and Nate Davoli are the two pitchers. So they get their work cut out for them this year. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out. I mean, that AL East is is never, never a dull moment there as uh, – as Sam alluded to, you know, I was also fascinated and I was glad that he didn't um, demur t- too much about it. You know, this addition of LeBron James and Maverick Carter to, to the ownership group, and, and he mentioned the, the banker who sort of pulled all this together, Paul Wachter, um, that's a big deal. And, and I think a sign uh, of a very progressive ownership group in many ways and and i also and and you obviously know this as well lynchy and and he he took it straight on uh you know the the past of boston is something that everybody has to reckon with and and this is an interesting and an important step uh for that ownership group which really you know two decades or so john henry and tom werner have, have owned that that team and and the entire portfolio that they've built and uh, they have they have built a model in in many ways. So obviously, watch this space. You've been watching it for a long time, but uh, I, I think that was an, another important element of, of that discussion. Without question, and this ownership has been very proactive. Uh, a former owner of the Red Sox, Tom Yaki, who, who had very questionable uh, racial practices, the street was named after him outside. They got the city of Boston to remove the name, and now it's back to its original name, Jersey Street. So they're very serious about this. Um, I think it's a great move. And, you know, Sam was great because there were no secrets with Sam. He goes, because the steel's an official, but Sam basically told right. you it's official, which, yeah. which is great. Yeah. So no, for, for, for all kinds, this, it, it has so much significance on so many levels. It's America's pastime. Put me in, Lynchy. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. All right, let's do the number of the week. Oh, boy. Here we go. All right. You know it's got to be a baseball theme. 
Mm-hmm. So, in this, and I'm dating now, November of 2020, a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle baseball card sold for this amount. The Braun card, I think, was like around seven or eight. Uh, yeah, you would think it would be, I think it'd be more than that, but uh, you got a guess, Lynchy? I can get one if you I want to go like five million. I think it's more than that, but I don't want to go. I want to. I'm, I'm going to price prices right oh, the heck out of this oh, one. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go oh. five million do, five million and one dollars. Oh, <laughs> oh. just just to get you, just to get he, you. He sniped you there, Lynchy. It's oh. five point two million dollars, and I'm trying so hard to keep quiet, man. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even get the benefit of a Jason. <laughs> no, see, I Come learned my down. lesson. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, five point two. It, that that uh, that actually that's low. I feel like that's low. I mean, it's a lot of money, but I mean, Lynchy, wouldn't you think? Uh, I don't know. Th- this is all of us showing our age, but but I would think a a rookie card uh, would be, a Mickey Mantle rookie card be more than that. You know what I'm uh, thinking right now. I'm thinking about my father dumping oh my cars. Here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I hit a sore subject, man. Poor, poor Lynchy Sr. looking down is like, is he ever going to let this go? Seriously. Things turned out okay. I, I want to bring up a question about you teaching, writing checks, man, when you were a teacher. Balancing the checkbook. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, happy opening day and opening yep. weekend, everyone. This has been uh, its a fun show to, to catch up with all these guys. Yep. And, yeah, a baseball card. If, if Lynchy still had his baseball cards, he, he actually <laughs> would buy a ticket to, uh, to Fenway Park. Well, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. In the meantime, find me on Twitter, Jason Kelly, at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. Happy opening day, everybody. And sorry, Michael Barr, about Michigan not being in the Final Four. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. Oh, we didn't have enough Kleenex in this house. I'm Michael Barr (laughs) on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You did a great job, Juwan. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. 